0: known as Doc Wei Zhen, uh, uh, introducing a new edition of Blog Talk Radio, the Dr. Wei Zhen on the radio. And we're going to talk about cancer today. But we're going to talk about cancer from a new angle, and that is the phenomena of spontaneous remission. And it's my pleasure to have with me today Dr. Kelly Turner, uh, who is a researcher a counselor in integrative oncology who has just written a book, which uh, is already, I think, a bestseller, called Radical Remission. And, um, you know, rather than me saying any more about this, I think I'll turn it over to Kelly and I'll let you tell us. So, Kelly, first, let's start with your background. Um, you're a Ph.D. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I was, um, I I got my undergraduate degree at Harvard, and that's when I started studying the mind-body connection and complementary medicine, Um, so that was always sort of an academic interest of mine, but where my heart took me after college was actually counseling, so I was just doing psychotherapy for cancer patients, Um, got my master's degree at UC Berkeley for that, and was very much enjoying it and thought that, that that's all I would do, but sort of coincidentally, I came across a case of radical admission in a book that I was reading one day, Um, and it just stopped me in my tracks, because, you know, here I was working with people who who were, you know, dying of cancer, Um, and here was somebody in this book who turned around stage four after their doctors had told him there was nothing more they could do, and I really wanted to know more about this person, and... Um, I just did a little bit of research later that night and found that there were thousands of these cases, but no one was really putting them all together or investigating them um, in depth. And so I decided to uh, go back to Berkeley, continue on for my Ph.D., and really dive into this topic to try to figure out what these radical survivors had in common.
0: Well, that's very interesting because I, I, I think the fact that you stumbled on one and then looked for the rest of them is really important because uh, i heard about radical remissions or spontaneous remissions when I was in training, but we could write off each one of them as a flute. Well, it really wasn't that. Well, you don't know. They really did this. There's, there's always some reason to explain it away. Mm-hmm. But when you get to a thousand cases, it's really hard to do that. So um, tell me a little bit about this year-long trip that you took um, interviewing uh, alternative healers and survivors.
1: Well, when I started researching radical remission, The survivors that I was talking to, some of them had literally traveled to the ends of the earth to try to get well. Now, um, I now know from my research that that's not necessary. Um, You can do all the things that the people were doing um, in the comfort of your own home. But some of them, for better or worse, did travel to try to get well, um, and they were going to take a certain herb or going to meet a special healer. and. Um, some of them were having radical results and having these remissions, and so part of my research was interviewing the healers that the radical remission survivors were going to see, Um, and some of these healers aren't, uh, you know, don't have internet access, don't have phones, and uh, even if they do, they're not always open to, you know, sharing their treatment ideas and methods with the researcher, and so... I found that it worked much better if I went and met with, was willing to go meet with these healers in person, um, gain their trust, and then they really opened up and told me all the wonderful things they're doing. So, yeah, it was a life-changing trip, and I I went to, um, started in Hawaii interviewing Kona healers there, and then I went to China, Japan, New Zealand, India, Thailand, England, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and, and ended in Brazil. So amazing. it was amazing. Um, it, was a, it was not a luxurious trip. There was lots of cockroaches and, and youth hustles. Um But the people I met and the healers and their survivors were, you know, really incredible and really sparked this, this decade of research that I've now gone on, gone on to study. So
0: tell me what you learned. I, I have read your book, uh, Great Read, Great Writing, and, uh, and I know that you ended up culling out some common themes. There were nine themes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, each one of those or about the ones that you think are the most important?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Um, first, I always like to just say that even though the book covered nine, um, I found many more than nine healing factors that these people were doing. Um, in fact, I found more than 75 different things that radical remission survivors do um, in their attempt to get well. But not every radical remission survivor does all 75. However, almost every radical remission survivor that I have interviewed does all nine of these, if not eight. So all eight, if not nine of these. And so that's why the book has these nine things in them. Um, huh. that's
0: interesting. I, did know, I did notice, let me interrupt you for a second, but yeah. one of the things that was the most remarkable to me was the fact that each patient customized their approach for themselves, which I, I guess shouldn't be surprising. That's what an individual patient's going to do. Uh, but it's very different from the way we approach cancer treatment, um, you, you know, today, where we have a treatment and a large
1: number of people get pretty much the same treatment. Exactly. Exactly. And that was one of the big takeaways from my, my research, which is um, everyone's going to have a different change they need to make. So they all did these nine things, but, you know, one of them is diets. Some people really focused on the diet and um, did the other eight things, but maybe not as, not as much. Whereas, you know, one of the other key factors is um, releasing suppressed emotions, and so I had some survivors who really focused on that, and that was for them the most important part of their healing. And diet was, you know, very much secondary or tertiary. So absolutely, um, you need to customize it to figure out the changes you need to make. And from a scientific standpoint, I mean, look, it would be great if we could find a magic bullet answer to cancer, um, and I, you know, I hope we find that soon. But what we do know about cancer is that it, it can be caused by a variety of different things. Um, it, it's essentially a cellular breakdown um, that happens after something causes a cell to break down. And so if you can cause cancer from a number for, with a number of different things, like toxins, viruses, bacteria, um, genetic mutation, or cellular breakdown, um, then it, it makes sense that there might be many ways to then repair those damaged cells. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Everybody that I met, there's there's no one perfect uh, neat solution. Everyone I met does slightly different things, but um, for the most part, they do these nine factors to some degree. So,
0: I wanted to focus in on one that really caught my eye, which was taking control of your health. Mm-hmm. And, and, again, uh, contrast it with um, uh, we, we are in a phase now where, where we're talking about patient empowerment, and there are e-patients or empowered patients who are out there taking control. But by and large, the health system was built around, don't you worry, honey, I'll take care of everything, right? You know, <laughs> that kind of approach from the healthcare care system. Um, would you say that everybody that you talked to pretty much had some form of this taking control? Yes.
1: That is I mean it was it's one of the nine factors because it it, it happened in everybody that I interviewed. Um, it's this movement away from being passive to being active. So, you know, the our medical system right now expects you to be patient. It expects you to be a quiet, patient patient, right? Um call
0: them patients. That's why I call them
1: patience, exactly. You want you expect it to be passive, submissive and, and take orders, basically from the experts who, who know best. Um and certainly, I'm not discrediting the you know 10 years of medical school and all of the wonderful knowledge and expertise that someone can gain from doing that. However, um, you know, the people I study are are the people for whom that Western medicine has done all that it can, and so their doctors get to a point where the doctors say, "I can't help you anymore. It's time for hospice." So the people that I study have to take control because the only other choice is just to accept. Um, you know, that death is inevitable immediately and that they're going to die of cancer right now. And so the people that I study do not accept that, and they are forced to take control and do their own research and their own homework and start trying things one by one and seeing which ones make them feel better. So, you know, a great example is um, the gentleman that I highlight in the Taking Control chapter in medical Remission. His name is Shin. He was sent home on hospice. He had stage four kidney cancer, and his doctors gave him, you know, two to three months max to live. Um, he had surgery, chemo, and radiation. Nothing was working. And he, you know, he he was a very good patient up to that point. He he did whatever they told him, and he very much believed them when they said, you know, he have two to three months. And so he went home and decided to just make the most of whatever days he had left with his family. Um, but he wanted to make the most of those days. We so wanted to try to feel as well as he could. And so his first instinct was to change the water he was drinking. The tap water tasted disgusting to him after all that radiation. And so he started by just making his own filtered water, and he noticed that that made him feel better. And then he tweaked his diet, and then he went and watched the sunrise, and he just slowly started taking control over what he was going to do to try to help heal. And, um, you know, it's now 30 years later, and he's still here. So it's amazing what happens when you, you start listening to your body and taking control of your health.
0: Yeah, and, and some of the people in, in, in the book actually had to turn down not just hospice recommendations but recommendations for for further treatment. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's a pretty brave thing to do, Um
1: it is, and I'm always the first the first one to say that I am not against Western medicine. That's not the point of this book. Um, I am a you know huge proponent of all that Western medicine has to offer. But these people represent a very interesting control group. So from a scientific research perspective, people who have healed without Western medicine, that is interesting from a research perspective because we wouldn't expect them to, right? Um, yeah, it's
0: very, it's very interesting. and I think you point out also that a lot of the approaches that are used are, I mean, when one person describes sending love to their cancer, where our traditional approach is we're going to send poisons and we want you to visualize that, that you're killing the cancer cells, right? I mean, it was very different.
1: It's very different, yeah. And a lot of the people that I study, This is not across the board. You know, there were some people who were visualizing, you know, Pac-Man eating up their cancer cells and stuff. But I would say the vast majority of the people that I've studied, these radical remission survivors, they don't focus on killing their cancer. They focus on healing their cancer and healing their bodies. So um, they, they focus on visualizing their immune system getting really strong and strong in number and surveillance. But it's not about killing as much as it is like cleaning up or healing um and that that one gentleman you're referring to he he actively sent love to his cancer cells because he viewed them as like sick children of his you know so cells that had become sick and he wanted to help them heal now what's interesting is that we know that that's what cancer cells are they are healthy previously healthy cells that have gone awry and so the western standpoint is to kill them But this gentleman and a few of the healers that I interviewed, actually, believe that it's possible to um, rehabilitate these cells that have gone awry and bring them back to being healthy. And, of course, as soon as they become healthy, they pop and die because all cells are supposed to pop or die at a certain certain time. And cancer cells forget to do that. They live forever. They live for a very long time. Um, So it's a really interesting turn on its head, this idea of let me heal this let me return it back to health as opposed to let me kill this very scary invader. So, oh, did I lose you, Pat? Are you there? She's back on. Oh, okay. Are you there, Pat? I am back on. Sorry, you did lose me for just a second. And... Not not to worry. I I was I was I was going on and on about how uh, how there is that difference between the Western standpoint of killing cancer versus the people I study who try to heal their cancer and especially heal their immune system.
0: And um, yeah, so I thought I thought that was really fascinating. Um, I, I wanted to talk about a couple of these other ones, and then I, I want to talk about uh, at, at the end ha- how we should be incorporating these approaches. I mean, what is there that, that you've learned that we should incorporate? into our current Western um, medicine uh, approaches to cancer. But before I do that, um, what about herbs and supplements? I mean, we know the supplement industry is huge here, and they would love it if you could say, you know, buy X supplement and it will cure your
1: cancer. Right, right. And then, you know, unfortunately there are some companies out there, um, and some products that are, are claiming that. What I found is that taking herbs supplements was one of the nine most common healing factors, but they weren't all taking the same supplements. And, again, I wish they were. <clears throat> I wish they would have all been taking one supplement and I would have been able to say, here's the magic bullet, everybody, you know, cure your cancer with this. Um, but they weren't. And that, again, harkens back to the idea that everyone's body is very, very different. So some people were um, really focusing on detoxifying. So they had heavy metals. They had bacteria or yeast or something that they needed to get out of their body. So they took supplements to help them do that. So like milk, mitzvah, um, aloe vera, other th- things that are helping you cleanse out. Other people found that they really needed to boost up their system. So they needed to take vitamins and supplements that would add things like vitamin d or vitamin c they, they needed to boost something up in their system and then um also people that i study take um herbs and supplements to help you digest your food and so some people really focused on that they found that they have leaky gut and so uh, which is a, a you know a western term for a, a a problem with your intestinal tract the lack of for lack of an um, in-depth explanation of leaky gut, but um, for them, they had to really take these digestive enzymes to really make sure they were getting nutrients from their food. So it varied, um, and herbs and supplements should always be taken under the guidance of a health professional, but if you, if you find a nutritionist that you trust or a naturopathic doctor or even a Western doctor who knows about this stuff, um, and if you focus on detoxifying, boosting the immune system, and digesting your food, um, if you cover those three bases, I think you're going to go a long ways towards helping your immune system fight cancer.
0: Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Um, and what about following your intuition? How, how is that? Can you give me an example from the book of how that's different from the people who describe taking control?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a great question because they are different. Um, well, the idea of taking control is, um, just being the leader of your health, so being being the one who's making the decisions and being in charge as opposed to just taking orders from other people. Um, the idea of using intuition, which was one of the most surprising factors for me, I was certainly not expecting that to come up over and over again, but it did in, in every single interview. That's the idea that once you've taken control and you're making decisions, you tap into your intuition to help make decisions. So, People weren't following their intuition blindly, but they were letting intuition come to the decision-making table. So they 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 tapped into that, just like they asked their doctor for an opinion, they asked their friends and family for an opinion, they did their own research, and then they also checked in with their intuition. So um, a great example is um, one of the women in the book named Nancy. She was diagnosed with breast cancer, and just intuitively, she didn't... She didn't feel that doing chemo right away was the right solution. She just, she thought that there were things that she could do um, in her life to try to help her immune system before, you know, tearing down her immune system with chemotherapy. And so she actually, um, she, she had a dream. She had a very strong dream that was intuitive and helped, um, helped her make the decision to postpone chemotherapy just for a little while while she worked on diet and herbs and emotional shifts. And um, so from, you know, having really strong dreams to just having a gut feeling or a voice in your head that says, you know, focus on this first, that, that, that's the kind of intuition that people were at least listening to when it came time to making decisions. And, you know, some people would tell me, some people said, Dr. Turner, I just knew that my job was killing me. I knew I had to leave my job. And that was the first step they took in their healing journey. Other people told me, I knew I had to change my diet. I knew that I had been eating poorly. And so that was the first place I went. And so their intuition was just often telling them where to start, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and it's interesting. I
0: read a book a, a few years ago called Cancer Warrior. I don't know if you've come across that by a woman who was diagnosed with a very advanced colon cancer. I mean, it, it, after I read it, I thought there's no way. I mean, she's written the book, so I know she survived, but it it really seems like an unsurvivable cancer. And she talks about, at the very end, being offered um, a, a treatment option, and, and it was her intuition that it was the wrong thing for her. Mm-hmm. And it actually changed the way she approached her care after that because, She started to look at her physicians more as people who are suggesting from a knowledgeable place options, but that she really was the person who needed to make the decision that was right for her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that you said it precisely. That the people I study, that's how they describe it as well. They see their physicians and their doctors as team members who are who are offering suggestions, but in the end. They are the ones who are, you know, the CEO of their health, so they're making the decisions. And their intuition in their body often can help point them in that direction. Um, and, you know, scientifically, when I was researching this idea of intuition for writing, when I was writing the book, what I came across is this, this knowledge that we have now about intuition being in the back of our brain. So back in the re- reptilian part of our brain, which is the oldest part of our brain, that's where intuition lights up. That's where it comes from. And it's the part of our brain that is instinctual. It senses danger. So it, back when we used to have to know if a, a, a big hurricane was coming three days earlier that, you know, made us think we got to start moving here, we all still have that part of our brain. We just don't have to use it very often. But when we're put in mortal danger, it takes in. So just like that, the woman who runs across the street and scoops up the baby and And you know, you ask her afterwards and she says, I I didn't even know what was happening, I just did. Well, the people that I study, the radical remission survivors, say the same thing. They say this this voice, this this feeling just came up strongly and said, Don't do this right now, do this instead. And of course the people that I study are in mortal danger, right? Their doctors have told them, You have stage four cancer or there's nothing more we can do for you. So it's it's really no wonder that this this ancient part of our brains is kicking in for them yeah so oh,
0: absolutely uh, maybe what we should wonder about is how we've managed to suppress that uh, mm-hmm. through our through
1: our institutions yeah, we really have and uh, when i was talking to some researchers there are a few researchers in, the, in this country who are actually looking at this and i talked to a few of them and they said it's like it's like anything if you don't use it you lose it And so, for example, our sense of smell as humans has gone down dramatically because we don't need to use it. But if someone becomes blind, their sense of smell and their sense of hearing go way up. And it's because they didn't need to use their sense of smell or their hearing so much when they had eyesight. But suddenly you lose that and the other senses have to come up. Well, same with with instinct, you know. Most of us, thank God, live in a very safe world. We don't have to know if there's a storm coming or if there's a bear behind the bushes. But um, we can practice using it every day, and we can sort of get that part of our brain working again.
0: So I'm wondering if one day, and maybe you do this in your in your integrative oncology counseling practice, if we'll see that a part of a, a part of our team. For caring for us not just with cancer but with any other serious illness would be an, an intuition counselor because I'm not sure most of us know how to uh, reach down and get in touch with the intuition We're so used to depressing it.
1: Right. Or, or just not hearing it. Yeah. I, I love that idea. You know, when I was counseling cancer patients um, 10 years ago, I was working for a very forward-thinking oncologist who... Um, I was on staff, and so was a nutritionist and a massage therapist and an acupuncturist. And so we were this, you know, whole body health treating each cancer patient. And one of the things that I did a lot with the cancer patients I worked with back then was guided imagery. And um, I even often did guided imagery. So I would have them, you know, lay down and take some deep breaths and get to a relaxed place and then start letting their imagination um throw up some images that would be useful for them and sometimes i would even have them you know use imagery to try to figure out what's going to be most helpful and healing to their bodies right now and it's amazing what comes up some people have these images that come up from their intuition that say they need to be in nature more or some of them say you know i need to be eating more you know grounding foods you know it's just amazing what comes up when you slow down quiet your thoughts and then ask a question
0: so, that being said, um, let's talk a little bit about how, uh, if you think this should be integrated into traditional Western approaches. I, I know that at Kaiser, um, they now do have qigong and tai chi and, you know, acupuncture and, and uh, you know, stress relief and, 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 a, and a lot of um, things that are kind of wrapped around uh, a traditional treatment. Um how, if, you, if you could paint a brush and have oncology care incorporate the learnings, the amazing learnings that you have um, that you've written about in this book, how, how would you do that?
1: Oh, if I could do that, that would be amazing. Um, well, I, I should start off by saying that um, my research is exploratory, so these nine factors are not conclusive and they're not um guaranteed to lead to a radical remission. They're simply the nine most common things that all radical remission survivors that I've studied have in common. So that's all we know right now is that this group of people have these nine things in common. Um, However, if you look at the, the separate research behind each of these nine things, there have been studies done on each of them showing that each of these nine factors, either directly or indirectly, strengthens the immune system. So we know that these are healthy behaviors, right? Um, Herbs and supplements being perhaps the one thing that um, you really need to have supervised. But these are all healthy behaviors, right? Releasing suppressed emotions like stress and fear, um, embracing and increasing social support, deepening a spiritual practice. These are healthy behaviors that will help anyone's immune system, first of all. And how would it look like if I could paint a brush? Um, It would probably look like... um, Dr. Dean Ornish's studies. So there's wonderful researchers right there in California near you, Pat. Um, Dean Ornish. He just saw him the other day. Oh yeah. Well, um, I'm a big fan of his research because he has done this. He has he has taken early stage prostate cancer patients and said, "Hey, would some of you be willing to post chemo, postpone chemo for a little bit, while we work on your diet, um, your emotions, and your exercise?" And will monitor you so that if something, if your numbers start rising, you can leave the study right away and get right onto chemo. And, of course, lo and behold, the people who who do his complementary treatments instead of chemo, their, their cancer numbers didn't go up, they went down. Um, and the people who were in the regular chemo group, uh, many of them, despite even getting chemotherapy, their numbers went up. So um, I think that if I could paint a brush, it would be, Um, you know, making sure that diet and emotional work and um, exercise are the first lines of treatment and that chemotherapy and surgery and radiation are always there in the back pocket if we need them.
0: Well, that's interesting. I think we'll wrap with that. I was going to say, uh, do you think this is an adjuvant therapy, adjunctive therapy, you know, for traditional um, chemotherapy and radiation, you know the traditional approaches that we have for cancer. But it sounds like you would flip it on his head and say this is the core approach, and and those other modalities would would really be the ones that we would we would add in as needed.
1: Well, again, that's if I could paint my brush and do anything, and and that's because studying these people has made me um, really be a lot less afraid of cancer. You know, it seems to be cellular breakdown that the immune system can't recognize. But um, when we jump to chemotherapy and radiation, um, not so much surgery, but chemo and radiation really hurts your immune system. Um, And the people I study, that's what healed them is their immune system. And so that's why I would perhaps reverse the order. However, all of these things can be done in conjunction with chemotherapy and radiation surgery right now at the same time, and they've been shown to reduce the side effects. So these are things that you can start doing right now. I hope I didn't lose you again, Pat. No, I just put it on mute. Sorry. These
0: are things that we all should be doing anyhow, that they should be integrated into our daily lives and, and Perhaps not just brought to bear at yeah. a time when we're in crisis, which is when we've been diagnosed with cancer or some other serious illness. Right. So I want to thank you very much. This is—I can't believe how quick the time flew by. There yeah, I know brief absences. Um, and um, I want to just tell everybody that the book again is radical revision: the nine key factors that can make a real difference. And it's been our pleasure to talk to Dr. Kelly Turner today. Thank you very much, Kelly.
1: Thanks for having me on, Pat. I really appreciate it.